Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Ambassadors Forum Radio Show here on True Talk 800 AM KPDQ. I'm your host, Roy Swart, father of seven, MIT graduate, active engineer in the high-tech industry, and most importantly, bought and paid for, bondservant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our mission here at the Ambassadors Forum is to equip you to be able to answer life's hard questions the same way Jesus did. I have the privilege today of interviewing a new friend of mine, Nathan Barksy, who is leading an exciting new venture in a city filled with the intellectual elite. Nathan got his bachelor's degree in economics at Stanford and then his PhD in economics from MIT. He spent several years in the banking industry as a consultant and an economist. He returned to school to get his PhD in theology from the University of Nottingham and then changed vocations to be a pastor at Christ the King Presbyterian Church. Recently, he helped start a Christian study center called the Octet Collaborative in Cambridge, Massachusetts. He and his wife and three children live in Somerville. Nathan, welcome to the show. Thanks, Roy. It's great to be with you. I briefly introduced the Octet Collaborative. Tell us a little bit more about that ministry, the needs you hope to meet in that community, and especially that name, Octet Collaborative. I just think that's so cool. Sure, yeah. This is a brand new ministry. We just launched officially last year, although it's something that I've been working on uh, as a side project for the last five or six years while being cool. a pastor. So cool. the way this started was when I became a pastor in Cambridge, one of the things that our church, Christ the King, has always said is that we believe that God put us in Cambridge for a reason, mm. that the gospel needs to be heard in the cities and in universities. Mm. And so we really try to be a church that loves the city and is for the city, which sometimes means challenging the city, but mm. but which is for it. And so as a pastor, I started to ask myself the question, you know, how can we best do that? How can we bring the gospel directly into the university, which in so many ways is, it just occupies this central place in Cambridge. You know, you've got Harvard on one side of us, you got MIT on the other, yeah. there's like 80 other schools there. Mm. And when I looked around for models for how this could be done, what caught my eye was the model of a Christian study center. Mm. Um, and I don't know if your listeners are familiar with Christian study centers. Probably um, many not. <laughs> people have, yeah, many many people have never encountered one. They've really only been around for the last thirty years or mm. or so, and and they've really flourished and kind of exploded in the last fifteen or twenty. Mm. There's about thirty or forty of these, you know, located at different universities around the country. Some of the better known ones are at UVA and and Cornell. And what they do, they occupy kind of a middle space between. You know, they're not really a campus ministry, mm. but they try to work to equip campus ministries. And they're also not a research center or a think tank mm. per se. They occupy this middle space in between, you know, where they really try to help people see those connections between faith and the life of the mind, mm, you know, cool. the life of, of study. And, you know, one way to think about it, most of them have in common the idea that the mission is not primarily to teach people about Jesus. You know, they see that as important, but they try to point people towards local churches and other campus ministries. Hmm. What they try to do is try to say that the gospel can also be a lens through which you look at everything else. So hmm. through which you do the work of a scholar, 
whether that's in physics or poetry or, mm. you know, whatever field you're in. That's cool. You know, how is it that the truth that is in Jesus Christ, in some way, the deep truth underlying everything else that you're studying mm. uh, or researching or writing about? Mm. Good. So that was the model that I found. And I got together with a group of like-minded folks in Cambridge, and we started to pray and to dream five or six years ago about, you know, how could we do something like that in Cambridge? We wound up focusing on MIT in particular for a few reasons. One, the fact that I'm an alum of mm -hmm. MIT, so I had that connection to it. We realized pretty quickly that we needed to focus on a particular school because of the importance of being physically present. Mm. You know, there's, there's so much of what we believe that is not just propositional truths, but it's really a way of life. It's a way of living together. Mm. And Christian study centers tend to, you know, be very big on hospitality and very big on community cool. as being the important context within which you try to bring the gospel to bear mm. uh, with, within the university. And so we knew we needed to locate near one in particular. The other cool thing about MIT is that Contrary to its reputation, there's actually already a strong, vibrant Christian community. And even mm. there's about 30 or 35 Christian faculty that, you know, regularly will get together and will pray with each mm. other and they know each other. There was this already this pretty cohesive group that was interested and excited about the possibility of something like the Octet Collaborative mm. starting. So that's how we wound up focusing on MIT in particular, and we launched last year. Yeah, I remember when I was there in the 90s as a student, you know, MIT's got a reputation for being very, you know, secular and, and yeah. very antagonistic yeah, to the Christian faith. But what I was surprised to find is what you just described there was a very healthy Christian presence there as well. And it's it's almost yes. like the darker it got, the stronger you had to be in your faith to survive in that darkness. Yeah. I know it was very formative for my Christian years. I got saved right before I went to college. And right. I think I am the Christian I am today, having kind of formed my faith in the cauldron of MIT. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Now, at the same time, having said that, you asked about, what are some of the gaps that we were trying to fill? What are yes. some of the needs? Mm -hmm. And one thing that we discovered is that although there's a strong community of Christian faculty, and then you have strong campus ministries that are serving the undergrad population, and then there's another one for the graduate mm -hmm. population, there's even a strong community of Christian staff, you know, mm -hmm. people who work at MIT. Yeah. But these different groups don't interact with each other very much. Mm -hmm. You know, and part of it is just the fact that Cambridge is a very, very busy place. <laughs> yeah, the pace of life here, I would say, borders on the on the inhumane. Um, <laughs> and uh, it's a tough place, and it's hard to be in more than one community. Mm. And so what ends up happening, I was surprised when I started talking to MIT students, I discovered that a lot of them would go their entire four years at MIT and not realize that there were 30 or 35 Christian faculty. Mm. You know, not they might know one or two because a few of them are a little bit more public and they do right. things with like, you know, with the Veritas Forum and they right. talk about their faith. But by and large, you know, students would not realize that there were this many faithful Christians among their professors. Mm. And so one of the things, and this is pretty low-hanging fruit, one of the things that the Octet Collaborative wants to do is to simply bring these different communities together so that wisdom can be passed across generations and students have role models to look at and can say, because when you walk, you probably remember this, when you walk onto MIT's campus for the first time, 
you're kind of awestruck. I mean, <laughs> yes. these are like whatever field you're in, chances are like the best in the world are yeah. here. Yeah. And you look around and the pace of life is frenetic. Everybody's devoting themselves 120% to their work. And you get to asking yourself, like, does my faith have anything to do with any of this? Mm. And if not, it becomes difficult to sustain a sense that faith is relevant. Mm. Like, it's not even so much that there's a lot of hostility every day to faith. It's just kind of treated as being irrelevant. Mm. And I find that a lot of Christians who lose their faith, it's more because of that. It's because there's just, there doesn't seem to be any place for it in the midst of life. So wow. if we can just provide students with role models and allow them to see, you know, here are these people that they really look up to and faith does play a central role in their lives. Mm. And even better, if we can equip, and this is part of Octet's mission, if we can equip Christian faculty and staff to understand and articulate and embody a life in which faith and their work are integrated with each other. Mm. You know, I mean, that becomes a tremendous role model, a tremendous picture, you know, for students who are coming in to say, yeah, there's a there's a coherence here. And this is something that I can look up to and, and seek to work into my own life. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. I was wondering, is there a sense there among the faculty that I'm a better physicist, I'm a better biologist, I'm a better programmer because I'm a Christian? Or is it like, hey, I happen to do this thing really well. And as a side note, I'm also a Christian. How do you think that right. kind of plays out? Right. I think you have some of each. Okay. I would say that for the most part, I mean, this is another gap that we're trying to help fill. I think for the most part, even the faculty, many of them would struggle to articulate exactly how their faith and their work mm. cohere mm. and would even be complementary and would support one another. We do have a few faculty who I think are very articulate about that and who would say, no, it's because I'm a Christian that I ask the kind of questions that I ask. Mm. And it's because I'm a Christian that virtues like humility and generosity have found their way into the way that I do my research and the way that I build my working groups or my labs or the way that I mentor students. There's mm. one professor in particular who, as I've spoken to alumni, I've heard just countless stories of times when he would pray with them in his office hmm. and w whether they were undergrad grad you know mit's got a pretty um rigid hierarchy <laughs> uh, you know running from professors down to incoming freshmen and right. they would just say you know none of that mattered hmm. in his office you know he wow. just treated me like a human being wow and so there are some stories where i think we've got a few people in the faculty, and not just faculty, I should say this, speaking of that hierarchy, you know, within MIT's hierarchy, faculty are clearly above the staff. Yes. <laughs> but, and that's probably true at every elite university yeah. in the country, not the world. But as I've gotten to know the faculty and the staff, one of the really cool things is how you realize that the faculty and the staff there's a lot of variety in terms of their maturity as Christians mm. and the kind of wisdom that they have for life. And I would say that there are times when I gain as much or more from sitting with the staff at MIT as with the faculty. And I would love to connect, you know, those staff also to the students uh, just for the, the wealth of resources that, that they have to offer. Oh, that sounds great. And what an opportunity. Yeah. Nathan. It sounds like 
all of these pieces are kind of functioning and healthy on their own. But boy, to use that word, what if they were integrated together yes. into a holistic community? Right. What would that look like? What could that do? Right. Wow. Exactly. That's so cool. All right. So yeah. now yeah. let's talk about the name. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So I mentioned earlier the pace of life <laughs> borders on the inhumane. And believe it or not, our name actually ties into that. So mm. the way it came about, it is actually tied to the Christian understanding of the Sabbath. And I realize that among Christians, there's a diversity of views on whether we really ought to set aside one day out of seven with no work, you know, how exactly we observe the Sabbath. Mm. But I think, by and large, Christians can agree that God calls us to prioritize worship in our week and to prioritize worship together, and also to prioritize rest, mm. yes. you know, to recognize <laughs> we are not made to work 24-7, but he has made us limited and finite and given us bodies, and those bodies are good, and they need rest and we need to rest in him. Okay. So even, even in Hebrews four, right? Where it's like, yeah, exactly, not only as exactly. humans do we need rest, <laughs> but God, who's kind of like, well, God never gets tired. So why does he need rest? <laughs> I've always yeah. struggled with that, but, but he does. He says, Hey, even I've entered into my rest and I've given you a pattern for that. <laughs> so I agree. Yes. I think all of Christianity can absolutely unite uh, over that very biblical concept for sure. Yeah, it, yeah, I think that's a, that's a that's a great passage to go to. So the way this came about is we were thinking about that concept of Sabbath and Sabbath rest, and saying, you know, that is a gift. If there's anything that MIT needs and is desperate for mm. out of our faith, wow. it would be precisely this: that MIT does not know how to rest. Uh, and that would be a wonderful <laughs> gift. I, by the way, I, I remember when I was an undergrad. Yeah, I came there. As a morning person, you know, I just growing up, I used to go to bed early yeah, and wake up early. And at MIT, I told people, I was like, you couldn't do that. You had to stay up late. <laughs> just right. And so unfortunately, I became a morning person and a night person at MIT. <laughs> and they're like, and people say, well, that means you don't sleep. And I'm like, exactly. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Yeah. And I think people who are from there, they get that. You don't sleep. And, yeah. and uh, it is yeah. crazy. <laughs> and I remember being an MIT student and being in a Bible study and reading Psalm 127. I'm paraphrasing here, but in, in Psalm sure. 127, it says something like, it is vain that you stay up late and vain that you rise early, <laughs> eating the bread of anxious toil because he gives to his <laughs> beloved sleep. And I remember just looking around the room and saying, we all know exactly what the bread of anxious toil tastes like. That's our life. Wow, um, wow. How do we receive this gift of the rest that God wants to give us? Anyways, that's a gift that mm. the Octet Collaborative, we want to offer that, you know, mm. to MIT in some way. So we were thinking about, you know, names, and I was playing around with the idea of, you know, sevens and seventh day, and like, I'm like, well, seventh day, that's already, there's a name of the denomination. <laughs> we can't use that. Yeah, we kind so, of intrude on somebody else's right. turf. <laughs> that's not going to work. And then I remembered... In the early Christian tradition, when Christians began to celebrate their day of rest and worship on Sunday instead of Saturday, of course, they did that because that was the day Jesus rose. Sure. Early in the Christian tradition, they began to talk about that not only as being the first day of the week, but as being the eighth day. Hmm. And what they said was, they said, you know, you look at Jesus's last week, 
And there's a sense in which Jesus's last week leading up to the cross is recapitulating the story of creation. Oh, wow. And, and just like his father, on the sixth day, Jesus says, the work is finished. Mm. And then he rests on the seventh day. And mm. then they would say, he rose again to new life on the eighth day, the eighth day of the week a beginning of a whole new creation, mm. right? I mean, they really jumped on that language of new creation. Mm. And then I began to realize, you know, that early Christian tradition, that was drawing on older thoughts from the Old Testament, where male children are circumcised on the eighth day, mm. the priests went through a seven-day period of concentration, then they got to work on the eighth day. Mm. And if you look at really old baptismal fonts, so if you go to a church that has, you know, an actual baptismal font, right. they're often shaped like an octagon. Oh, wow. And, and the reason for that was that they carried over this tradition of circumcision being on the eighth day and brought that over to baptism. Oh, wow. And it was all symbolic of this idea that for Christians, the new life that we have in Jesus, as we're united to him, as Paul says, you know, if we're united to him in his death, then we're also united to him in his resurrection. We have this new life that begins on the eighth day. And that, you know, is so tied to our entering into that rest mm. that's spoken of in Hebrews 4, you know, that you mentioned earlier. Right. So that's where we landed on this idea of eight. And then from there, octet kind of had the right sound to it. It also <laughs> just happens to have a couple cool techie references because octet, in addition to being a piece or a group of eight musicians, it's also you know, a stable group of electrons. Yeah. <laughs> there's, a, there's something called the, there's something called the octet rule in, yeah. in, yeah, in, in chemistry. Yeah. It's an eight bit unit of digital information. So this ties in really well <laughs> to, to the place that we're trying to serve as well as to this deep theological truth that sums up the gift that we're trying to offer. Oh, that's so that's, cool. that's where the name came from. Collaborative, of course, that's just indicative of our desire to be bringing people together to work together yeah across these generations wow that's really awesome nathan and i'll tell you it worked because the way you and i met was i got a postcard you know something from mit okay I, as an alumni i get all this stuff and i was about ready to throw it away and i'm like oh octet collaborative i'm like that sounds kind of techie and cool <laughs> yeah yeah so well, it good. me <laughs> good all right well i'm glad i'm glad to hear that yeah so it so, worked Field testing. Um, <laughs> well, I, I know that the mission of the Octet Collaborative is, as you stated on your website, a community of students, faculty, and staff at MIT dedicated to human flourishing formed by the historic Christian faith. Yep. In, in that context, how do you say the Bible defines that human flourishing? Sure. So we, so we chose those words very carefully as a way of expressing again we look at the university and we say we are for the university we are a friend we are a friend with whom we sometimes have deep disagreements i think oz guinness was the first one to say that um <laughs> but that's the way we regard it and so on the one hand you know human flourishing those are words that get used in a secular context mm. you know mit itself will readily say human flourishing right is at the center of of our mission and their way of going about that 
is to generate and to disseminate knowledge and innovation and technology mm. uh, around the world. And we'll say, you know, we are for that. We think that the Christian faith, you know, that, that which is also in our mission statement, we think the Christian faith can make MIT better at its own mission mm. because wow. Wow. the Christian faith gives a robust understanding of what a human being is mm. in a way that a secular context doesn't. I mean, a secular, you know, science for all of its power to understand the world and to develop technologies and to improve the quality right. of life, we have no right. quibble with any of that. Right, right. But science on its own doesn't tell you what human beings are for. Mm. Wow. And what that means is that science by itself doesn't tell you when a particular technology you know, may overshoot the goal of improving the quality of life and verge into potential dehumanization. Mm. I'm thinking here of questions that MIT itself is asking, like, how should we use advances in genetic engineering? Mm. Um, wow. Should we be concerned about the impact of artificial intelligence on the labor market? You know, MIT mm. itself set up a task force to ask that question. Mm. So they're recognizing the importance of these questions. They're recognizing that they have ethical implications that we need to be careful about. But we think that the Christian faith is uniquely positioned to come in and to help answer those questions in robust and life-giving ways, and ultimately in ways that connect human beings to their creator, wow. You know, which for us, the real definition of human flourishing is that human beings would be connected in an intimate and saving relationship to the God who made them and who died for them. Wow. The way that we define human flourishing according to the Christian faith, it's intended to say there are ways that we can make common cause with the Institute, and then there are ways that we would add in a challenge or a way of thinking about what humanity is for that might challenge some of, of what MIT would do otherwise. What a beautiful picture, Nathan, of Christian ministry. In our apologetics ministry yeah. here in the Northwest, we've seen a lot of people kind of come at non-Christians or at the secular community very aggressively, kind of in your face, and it just doesn't work. You know, nobody wants to fight about that. And so what a beautiful right. picture of how the Octet Collaborative says, hey, MIT, we're for you. <laughs> you, yeah. you know, we like this mission statement, human flourishing. We're all about that, too. Let me just give you a few things to think about yeah. What does flourishing mean? How can you define it in such a way that it applies to everybody? It includes the whole human race. What a neat picture. I, it makes me think of two things. One in Romans 1, where Paul talks about God has put certain truths into mm. people's hearts already. And yes. they, they may not even know that or acknowledge that. In a way, they're suppressing that truth, and that doesn't help them. Right. So as Christians, if we can reach into there and tie into a truth that God has already put there, you know, people want to do good things. They want social justice. They, they want to improve humanity. They want everybody to flourish, but they're not quite sure why. And as Christians, we can help them think that through. So what, yes. a, what a beautiful picture. And I also think of uh, 1 Corinthians 5, where we've been given this ministry of reconciliation it's really God's ministry of reconciling the world to himself. And then yep. he gives us that ministry and says, hey, help me. <laughs> help me out. Be a part of what I'm doing. And our message is be reconciled to God because that's where you find your fullest 
flourishing. Wow, what an amazing ministry that you get to be a part of. It's exciting. MIT has always been near and dear to my heart. Like I said, it was very formative for me. And to see you being part of what God is doing there to continue to shine a very bright gospel message in a very dark place is very encouraging. So thank you, Nathan, for being on the radio show today, and uh, blessings to all that God is doing through you and your ministry there in Cambridge. You're you're very welcome. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Wow, what a fascinating testimony of the work that God is doing in an environment that has been traditionally described as uninviting to the Christian faith. Now, how about you? What areas of your life is God calling you to use your unique training and background and experience to translate the truth of the gospel into a message that can be heard and understood by your peers? The Ambassadors Forum is here to help. We have lots of excellent resources to help you get started on your journey of being equipped in the field of Christian apologetics. Go to our website at theambassadorsforum.com. Finally, thank you for joining us on the radio today. You can join us every Saturday at 9.30 a.m. here on True Talk 800 a.m. KPDQ. I pray that God will raise you up in your own faith and send you out to share that faith with others in the grace and truth of the Lord Jesus Christ. Until next time, I'm Roy Swart. May the Lord bless you and keep you.